0: Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? Yes, even that one, that's better. My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theater and this midnight I will tell you The Tale of the Haunted Plantation There are many houses deep in the American South, that are haunted. Some of them are inhabited by ghosts of those long dead, but more than that, they stand today as reminders of the human atrocities of slavery in the United States, silent witnesses to the suffering of millions of Many of the plantations still in existence today are operated as museums and tourist attractions, attempting to tell the truth about the history of one of America's darkest sins, and trying to tell the stories of the human beings who lived, worked, and died there. It will never be enough. Located in St. In Francisville, Louisiana, 98 miles north of New Orleans, is the Myrtles Plantation. Beginning in the mid-20th century, it became regarded as one of the most haunted houses in the United States of America, filled with tragic history of death and ghostly legends echoing down to us from the past. Sometimes the real truth gets lost inside the juicy legend, and it's important to distinguish which is which. What eventually became known as the Myrtles Plantation was constructed directly on land used as a sacred burial ground by the Tunica, a tribe of Native Americans who had been forced from their homeland by increasing numbers of European settlers. They eventually moved to land in western Louisiana and today are known as the Tunica Biloxi Native Tribe. Many live on a reservation in Avoyelles Parish, Louisiana, in the present day. Born in 1762, David Bradford was a lawyer and deputy attorney general for the town of Washington, Pennsylvania. By 1794, David Bradford had become a leading figure in what had become known as the Whiskey Rebellion, which was a protest against the tax on whiskey, the first tax the new American government imposed on a domestic product. President George Washington sent 13,000 American troops to Washington, Pennsylvania, and David Bradford was one of many prominent citizens ordered to be arrested. Bradford left his wife Elizabeth and their five children and fled to Louisiana, where he purchased 600 acres of land and built a modest eight-room house he called Laurel Grove in 1796. Bradford was pardoned by President John Adams in 1799, and then his wife and children moved to Louisiana to be with him. The Bradford family lived very comfortably at Laurel Grove. David Bradford occasionally took in students who wanted to learn about law and taught them everything he knew. One of these students was a man named Clark Woodruff. Clark Woodruff was born in 1791. During the War of 1812, he fought alongside Andrew Jackson at the Battle of New Orleans. After the war was over, Woodruff began studying with David Bradford. He became a lawyer, and later, a judge. David Bradford died in 1808, and his widow, Elizabeth, took over the running of the plantation. After David Bradford's death, Clark Woodruff fell deeply in love with one of the Bradford's daughters, the beautiful Sarah Matilda, their romance blossomed under the languorous shade provided by the flowering crape-myrtle trees that surrounded Laurel Grove, and they were married on November 19, 1817. After Clark and Sarah Matilda's marriage, Elizabeth Bradford handed over the running of the plantation to Clark Woodruff, her new son-in-law. It was during this time that the most famous ghost story about the plantation occurred. A tale that is told to this day on the Howells' tours, and one that has been recounted in many books and television shows about the paranormal. It is the tragic and terrifying legend of an enslaved woman named Chloe. Chloe. By all accounts, Clark Woodruff was well respected in the community and loved his wife, Sarah Matilda, dearly. They had two children with a third on the way. However, Clark Woodruff also engaged in reprehensible behavior indulged by many plantation owners of the time period, non-consensual sexual relationships, with the enslaved women who worked for him. It is said that while his wife was pregnant with their third child, Clark Woodruff began abusing one of the slaves who worked inside the house. Her name, by all accounts, was Chloe. Fearing that she would be sent to work in the fields if she refused his advances or attempted to fight back, Chloe went along with Woodruff's inappropriate affection. Eventually, Clark Woodruff tired of Chloe and turned his attention to another enslaved woman who worked in the house. Chloe became certain that Woodruff would send her out of the house and into the brutal, back-breaking work picking the crops of indigo and cotton in the fields, She began listening at doors, trying to overhear if Woodruff was saying anything about sending her away. One day, Chloe was caught in the act of doing this, either by Clark Woodruff or his wife, Sarah Matilda, and as a punishment and a warning to others, Clark Woodruff cut off one of Chloe's ears. After that, Chloe wore a green turban around her head to mask the gaping wound. Chloe then developed a desperate plan. She baked a cake for the children's birthday, and into the mixture she crushed a quantity of dried oleander leaves, which are highly poisonous. Many believe that her goal was to get the whole family sick, and then nursed them back to health, therefore securing her place inside the house forever. However, her plan went tragically, horribly wrong. Clark Woodruff ate none of the cake, but his pregnant wife Sarah and their two children did. Chloe overestimated the amount of poison she put into the cake, and instead of becoming sick, Sarah Woodruff and her two children died within a few hours of eating it. The other enslaved people on the plantation knew what Chloe had done and feared that they would also be punished for her murderous actions, so they took matters into their own hands. They dispensed justice by dragging Chloe, screaming from her bedroom, and hanging her from one of the crepe myrtle trees in the yard. Then they cut her body down, weighted it with stones, and threw her corpse into the river nearby so she could never receive a proper burial. Clark Woodruff was devastated by his family's sudden annihilation. The room where the tragic dinner occurred was closed off for the rest of his life, and to this day has never been used for dining again. It's now known as the games room. It was customary in those days to drape black fabric over all the mirrors in the house following death. One mirror in the house was not covered, which some say led to the spirits of Sarah Woodruff and her two children being trapped in the mirror. That mirror still hangs in the house to this day, and it is marked by the handprints of children that continue to reappear every time the mirror is cleaned or the glass is replaced. The ghost of a woman in a long white dress has been seen entering the house, which many presume to be the spirit of Sarah Woodruff. Several spectral children have been seen over the years playing in the house and surrounding grounds, perhaps unaware that they ever died. The ghost of Chloe also haunts the house. People staying the night have reported waking up to see a woman in a green turban in their room, who then vanishes, poignantly. Children who stay in the house have reported seeing this spirit also. She appears to watch over them, even tucking them into bed at night before disappearing. An extraordinary photograph was taken in 1992, which shows a black woman standing in between two of the estate's buildings, partially behind a pillar. She wears a long dress and a turban on her head. No one was present when the photograph was taken. It was investigated by National Geographic and judged by several photographic experts to be genuine. The tale of Chloe is probably one of the most famous American ghost stories. However, none of it is true. Not a single one of the events I just described Ever happened. The business records of the Woodruff family all still exist in the St. Francisville archives. Neither they or any other residents of the plantation before or after them ever owned a slave named Chloe. Chloe never existed. However, Clark Woodruff's wife, Sarah Matilda, and two of their children did actually die tragic early deaths in reality, just not from a poisoned oleander-leaf-laced birthday cake. On July 21, 1823, Sarah Woodruff died of yellow fever. Epidemics of the fever which was spread by mosquitoes were very common in the swampy lands of Louisiana during this time. Clark Woodruff was reportedly heartbroken over the premature death of his beloved wife, but there was still more tragedy ahead. Almost exactly one year later, his only son James caught yellow fever and died on July 15th. 1824. Two months later, in September 1824, Clark Woodruff's eldest daughter, Cornelia Grace, also died of yellow fever. In reality, Clark and Sarah Woodruff had a third child, named Mary Octavia, who did survive clark and mary octavia woodruff along with the widowed elizabeth bradley continued to live at laurel grove elizabeth bradley died of natural causes in eight in 1830 leaving clark and mary octavia all alone in the once full house its rooms filled with memories of tragedy and death so even though the legend of Chloe is exactly that, a legend. There are still ample reasons for the ghosts of Sarah Woodruff and her children, Cornelia Grace and John, to haunt the plantation. They do, just not for the reasons so many people believe. As for the ghostly figure of the woman in the green turban who has been seen and photographed, that will be explained in time. Now that we've dispensed with legend, we'll continue with the history and the haunting of the Myrtle's Plantation. On January 1st, 1834, Clark Woodruff sold the Laurel Grove plantation to a man named Ruffin Gray Sterling. The Sterling family, which consisted of Ruffin, his wife Mary Catherine Cobb, and their nine children, was massively rich. They already owned several other plantations along the Mississippi River. And now they also owned Laurel Grove, all the fertile land and crops surrounding the house, and the enslaved Africans who worked the land. Desiring to make the plantation a showplace, the Stirlings renamed it the Myrtles, after the beautiful crepe myrtle trees, and extensively remodeled the house, doubling its size and filling it with exquisite furnishings from Europe, including a crystal chandelier from France that weighed over 300 pounds. An impressive 125-foot-long veranda was added to the front of the house, and its doors featured custom-made, hand-painted and etched stained glass patterned after the French cross with the porch and shutters painted haint blue, both of which were powerful and ancient superstitious symbols to ward off the influence of malevolent spirits. Like the Woodruff family who lived at the Myrtles Plantation before them, the Sterling family suffered many tragedies while living in the house. Ruffin Gray Sterling died of tuberculosis on July 17, 1854. Later that same year, Lewis Sterling, the oldest son at 23 years old, also succumbed to the disease. Out of nine children, Only four survived to adulthood. Like the widowed Elizabeth Bradford many years earlier, Mary Cobb Sterling ran the myrtles alone after her husband died. In fact, Mary ran all the farms her husband had owned virtually single-handed and was highly respected by the other planters in the area, all of whom were men for her shrewd and brilliant business sense. The Civil War changed the Sterling family and life at the Myrtles Plantation forever. The house itself survived the war, but almost all of its exquisite European furnishings and other grand family heirlooms were looted by Union soldiers, Mary Cobb Sterling had invested her money heavily in sugar plantations before the war broke out. These were now destroyed, and the family fortune, much of it in Confederate currency, was lost in the chaos. The enslaved people, who had endured back-breaking labor to enrich the white owners of the plantation, were now finally, free. Mary Cobb Sterling sold all of the property she owned to pay off her debts and survive, but she managed to hold on to the Myrtles, where her husband and many of their children had died. Her oldest daughter, Sarah, had married a man named William Drew Winter on June 3, 1852. On December 5, 1865, Mary hired her son-in-law to manage the plantation's business affairs, just as her predecessor, Elizabeth Bradford, had done, and as part of the deal, gave the myrtles to Sarah and William as a home, although Mary continued to live there also. Sarah Sterling and William Winter were deeply in love and had six children together. One of their daughters, Kate, died of typhoid fever in the house when she was only three years old, but there was still more tragedy ahead for the family. On January 26th, 1871, William Winter was teaching a Sunday school lesson in the gentlemen's parlor of the Myrtles. Suddenly. The sound of galloping horses' hooves was heard approaching the house, and then a strange man's voice calling William's name, saying he had business to do with him. William cautiously stepped out onto the front porch, and people inside the house heard the sounds of hushed voices. And then the explosive sound of gunfire shattered the silence, and then the echo of a horse furiously galloping into the distance. The front door opened, and William Drew Winter staggered into the house. Perhaps he was calling out his wife's name, Sarah. Sarah. He had been shot several times at close range, and his blood dripped onto the floorboards. As William began to slowly ascend the staircase, trying to breathe through his punctured lungs, his wife Sarah appeared at the top of the staircase and screamed. She ran to him. William made it as far as the 17th step before he collapsed into Sarah's arms. She sobbed as she tried to stop her husband's bleeding, but it was too late. Sarah held William as he breathed his last. His murderer was never brought to justice. Today, one of the ghosts of the Myrtle's plantation is thought to be the spirit of William Drew Winter. Owners and guests at the house have reported hearing the sounds of heavy, dragging footsteps coming through the front door and then slowly ascending the staircase in the middle of the night, accompanied by the disturbing sounds of someone struggling to breathe. The footsteps are heard going up to the 17th step, and then there is nothing but silence. Upon investigation, no one is there. For decades after William Winter's murder, the blood he dripped on the floorboards was not able to be washed off. Even today, There are supposedly spots of blood that are still visible in the old wood. Sarah Sterling Winter never got over her husband's death. She never remarried and remained in mourning black for the rest of her life, dying on April 16, 1878 at the relatively young age, of 44. Sarah's ghost, a woman dressed in black, has been seen inside the house going from room to room as if she is still searching for something irretrievably lost. Sarah's mother, Mary Cobb Sterling, died two years later on August 8, 1880, At the age of 68. After Mary's death, ownership of the Myrtles passed to one of her remaining sons, Stephen Sterling. However, Stephen wasn't able to keep up with the mounting debts associated with running the plantation, and he was forced to sell it in 1886. The house was sold again in 1889, and then again in 1891. In that year, a man named Harrison Milton Williams moved into the Myrtles with his wife Fanny Lintot Harrelson and their seven children. One of their children also died on the property, drowning in a nearby river. Fanny Williams' brother, Eddie Harrelson, was also tragically murdered by gunshot by a robber in one of the plantation's outbuildings. Some locals began to whisper that the curse that plagued the property was continuing to claim more victims. By the 1950s, the property surrounding the Myrtle's plantation had been broken up and and distributed among the heirs of the Williams family. The house itself was purchased by a woman named Marjorie Munson, a wealthy widow from Oklahoma. It was at this time that stories of the Myrtles being haunted began to circulate throughout the community, and these tales would soon spread throughout the country, and then the world. Marjorie noticed odd things happening at the house as soon as she moved in. She heard footsteps on the stairs when the house should have been empty, and the unexplained, eerie sounds of children laughing, playing. She saw things out of the corner of her eye she could not explain. Marjorie Munson began to ask the locals about the history of the Myrtles, and she started hearing tales of the estate's tragic and sinister history. One of the people Marjorie Munson spoke to was a woman named Lucille Lawrisson, the granddaughter of Harrison and Fanny Williams, who had purchased the Myrtles Plantation in 1891. Lucille told Marjorie that her family had often seen the ghost of an old woman wearing a green turban inside the house. She was seen so frequently that the Williams family laughed it off in order to stave off the terror of her visitations. This tale of a ghostly old woman in a green turban, whoever she may have been, was morphed and twisted over time into the lurid legend of Chloe, which is a fiction. But There is a real specter of a woman wearing a green turban haunting the myrtles. She has been photographed and experienced by many people up into the present day. She is not an enslaved woman named Chloe, but who she really was and why she continues to haunt the property has sadly been lost to history and time. A guest named Frances Myers claimed that she encountered the ghost in the green turban in 1987. She was asleep in one of the downstairs bedrooms when she was awakened suddenly by a black woman wearing a green turban and a long dress, standing silently beside the bed holding a burning candlestick in her hand, illuminating her face in its soft, spooky glow. Having heard nothing about the Myrtle's plantation being haunted, Frances Myers was terrified. She pulled the covers over her head, and then she started screaming. Then she slowly raised her head from underneath the blanket, just enough to look. The woman in the green turban was still there. She had not moved. Frances reached out her hand to touch the woman, and then she was gone. Frances Myers also spoke about her encounters with the ghost of William Drew Winter in an interview for the Mysterious Universe podcast in 2015. I'd heard footsteps coming up the stairs, and I didn't think anything of it but I had left my light off and I woke up and it was on, so I turned it off. Then the footsteps started up the stairs again. I figured it was one of the other guests, but then the doorknob started rattling. I called out and nobody answered. Today, the Myrtle's plantation is operated as a historic site as well as a famous bed-and-breakfast owned by John and Tita Moss. Tourists can visit and take ghost and history tours during the day, and guests can stay in many rooms in the Grand House, receiving access to exclusive evening tours, paranormal investigations, and dine at a delicious restaurant on the beautiful grounds. The legends and ghost stories of the Myrtles Plantation have been featured on the television shows, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Most Terrifying Places in America, and Unsolved Mysteries. When the latter filmed on location at the Myrtles in 2002, the cameras and audio equipment malfunctioned mysteriously, but worked perfectly when they left the property. On the 125-foot-long veranda at the Myrtle's Plantation, the rows of wooden rocking chairs displayed there will often rock on and on, all by themselves, when there is no wind there to be felt. The grand piano inside the great house will sometimes play all alone, a single chord over and over, all by itself. A tour guide at the Myrtles named Hester reported in 2009, I've worked for the Myrtles for 13 years, and this is a very strange house. Most of our guests say when they hear the piano play, they make sure they don't come downstairs. They don't want to see who or what is playing it. Another staff member at the Myrtles Plantation was interviewed in the 1990s, and she said, I've worked here for over ten years, at least once, every single week, and sometimes more often than once every week. I've seen people running to their cars in the middle of the night. People come to the Myrtles Plantation today because of its ghostly history, but hopefully they remember the human history that has left its indelible mark on this beautiful place. The history of the enslaved Africans who worked and died there, and of the native people who buried their dead on the land before they were forced away from it. Today, there is a statue of a native woman on the grounds, and many visitors have reported seeing the ghostly figure of a native woman walking slowly and deliberately across the lawn at twilight, staring intently at the grand house as the sun sets, never entering the building, but silently, and relentlessly keeping watch on the sacred soil that was stolen from her people so many years ago. In America, the sins of our past are present, and they should never be forgotten. The ghost of who we were inform what we may become. Next time we meet, we'll travel back across the sea to Ireland to visit an 800-year-old castle haunted by a bloody past, along with an elemental spirit known only as the It. If you enjoy the podcast, I encourage you to leave a rating and a review if the spirit moves you. You can also like Going Dark Theater on Facebook. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to Going Dark Theater. Until our next midnight together, I wish you all very pleasant dreams. And now... Going Dark.